So we finished uh, before Christmas, we finished our previous series, uh, and we're heading into a new series next week. We're starting the book of Nehemiah, so over the next few months we're going to be going on a journey through that book. So can I encourage you, uh, get a copy of, well, get your Bible out, have a read of Nehemiah. Uh, One of the ways that I found, I don't know whether you've got done this, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, I find that one of the ways that I I really help to focus and to follow is actually having it read to me. Uh, And you might be thinking, you've got an incredibly patient wife. Uh, No, you can actually download YouVersion, and uh, on YouVersion, on your phone or on your tablet or whatever it might be, uh, there is a recording for the whole of the Bible. And I sit there on on my exercise bike with uh, Nehemiah in, open in front of me and it being read in a pair of headphones. It's just fantastic. It really gets you uh, following along with the text and drilling it into your mind. So can I encourage you, whatever it is, get a handle on the book of Nehemiah uh, over the next few weeks. That's where we're going to be heading. But this afternoon, it's just a one-off. It's an opportunity maybe to just pause and reflect and think. It's a new year, isn't it? It's a new year. It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly the past year has gone. Uh, It's for some of us who were here last year at the beginning of the new year, we were looking ahead to all of the things that 2015 were going to bring, things that we did know, things that we anticipated, things that we were never expecting. They have all either happened or not happened. That year has passed. 2015 is gone forever. It is time which has passed, which we will never, never get back. I remember listening to that kind of stuff when I was a lot younger, thinking, yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. And then I begin to realize as time goes on how incredibly precious time is. It's time that has been given to us by God. It's time that has been given to us in our particular contexts. The things that we've experienced over the past year have not been outside of God's will and purpose and plan in our lives. The events that have gone on across the world in some way beyond our understanding are not outside of the plan of God, the purpose of God. It seems as though there is chaos It seems as though there is challenge at every turn. It feels as though the world is out of control. And the encouragement from the Bible is this is always as it has been because we live in a world which is broken. But because it's broken and because it looks as though it's chaotic doesn't mean that it is outside of God's hand. That's an encouragement, I think, at the beginning of a new year. And it's a way for us to reflect on the past year. I guess most of us have got reflections at this time of year. Some of you might have stayed up till midnight on New Year's Eve. Uh, Some of us didn't. That's kind of, you know, it's just another day. Uh, But it's, it's kind of poignant, isn't it? It is a moment for thinking and reflecting. It's a moment for all of us that brings a point where we look back and we look forward. It's interesting the way we work as human beings like that, isn't it? We create punctuations in life. Most of us celebrate our birthday. 
What does that do? It's a moment which in one sense is just another day. And yet in another sense, it's a moment where we have opportunity to pause, to reflect and to think past and to think forward. The rhythms of life, the highlights, the lowlights of life are brought into focus by those moments. Now, we all have different birthdays, and yet something like New Year is a moment for us to collectively reflect. I find it fascinating watching the little cameo um, video coverage of the past year. The people, famous people, who are no longer with us. It's a poignant thing, isn't it? Just a little moment of reflecting on their life. And you realize that there have been people down through this past year who have left us, who have been significant contributors to the cultural framework of the world in which we live. And yet, the time has passed. The day has ended, uh, and they're not here. Uh, And that isn't just famous people, is it? I guess for many of us, there have been significant people in our own lives who have left us in this past year. It's a moment of reflecting the passing of days. What does it do for us? What do those moments do? I, I guess one of the things that it can do is it can give us opportunity to just pause and ask, what are the priorities in my life? What am I doing with these days that have been given to me? What is life about? What am I making use of in the time that I've been given? What is life for me? Maybe we could ask that question of ourselves through what we're looking at this afternoon. What am I doing with my life? How am I setting the priorities for my day-to-day experience? This little section that we're going to look at is entitled in the heading, The Boy Jesus at the Temple. It's a fascinating little section, really fascinating little section. It's significant because it is the only recorded account of the childhood of Jesus. So we've got this person, we've spent this past Christmas period, we've been focusing on his birth, we've been seeing the amazing things that went on, we've got those various reflections that go beyond, right the way up to around about two years old, uh, when Herod orders the, uh, the slaughter of all children in Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph escape into Egypt. And then sometime later, they return to Nazareth. And we see that that's about all we know in the life of Jesus, in that very, very young life. And then we have this little moment. It's as though in this life story of Jesus, which reopens again when he's 30, starts again at the baptism of Jesus, and we open up to the rest of his life, we get this moment of insight where we see life for Jesus. But it's more than that. It's more than life for Jesus. It's life for a little family. 
What do we know? We know that there's Mary, we know that there's Joseph, we know that there's Jesus. We find out later on, through the way the narrative unfolds in his adult life, we find that there are other brothers and sisters. We find that this family, from this miraculous birth of Jesus, has continued to grow and Jesus has brothers. We know about that. I guess that by this time, it's quite likely that Jesus would have had other brothers, Mary and Joseph, that would have been part of this little gathering. But what we also see is that this is one of those poignant moments for this family. This is one of these punctuating events in life. We read right at the beginning, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. That's what we read. So we have various moments in life which become punctuating events. We don't live in a culture anymore where we collectively observe certain days. In fact, as we look down through history, the, the, the priority of observing certain days has has waxed and waned. People have been positive about it at times, and then they've been negative about it. It was Oliver Cromwell, I think, wasn't it, who banned Christmas uh, because he decided that this was a trivial festival which was not ordained in the Bible. We didn't need to observe it. On that note, I disagree with Oliver Cromwell, not because it's something that we need to do, but it's just a great time, isn't it? It's an enjoyable time. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, I kind of was, was Oliver Cromwell the forerunner for skipping Christmas? Have you seen the John Grisham novel, which the film was based on? Was he just tired of the, all of the fun and games and he thought, let's find a reason to get rid of Christmas? I don't know. But what I do know is that the positivity of corporate cultural events where we all reflect, where we all gather together, are decreasing and decreasing in a society which is becoming increasingly individual in its mindset. That's what we're seeing. From around about the post-war, probably, there was a shift, a significant shift, where we moved from having an idea of corporate community and identity to becoming more and more focused on the individual and the individual life and the celebration of the individual as opposed to be the celebration of us together. That's just an observation. It's the way it's working out. We don't have events like this. But for Mary and Joseph, they were part of that Jewish tradition and for them, that what was well established was this commitment to a life of remembering together. A Passover festival. What was the Passover festival? Uh, well, it was a day of Passover followed by seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was an eight-day celebration. They traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate it together. I, I, I think actually that That was probably a really special time in a life which was just punctuated by that one day of rest each week, but actually the day-to-day demands of surviving, of working hard, of uh, Joseph working in his carpentry workshop, 
uh, and for the farming community around. All of those things that were just the strain and demand of life. There was this little moment where we get together and we remember. It was a family as well that was shaped by faith. That's what this moment in the year gives them. What we see is really important is that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem. That doesn't seem significant to us. And yet for the first readers it would have been very significant. There was no demand that the wife or mother was part of that. It was the demand that the head of the house played his part in the Passover celebration. But those who were devoted to their faith, the whole family took part. Gives us a little window into the way the family worked, didn't it? Here was a little family that was not rich, and yet they were devoted. They were committed to a life which was shaped by this event and these other events of their religious calendar. Mary's unnecessary commitment is an indication of how she thought, how her life was shaped. I think, I think Luke particularly is very interesting in the way that he picks up on the significance of Mary. <laughs> so many, a time and time again, he reflects on the way that Mary values and treasures events in the life of Jesus. One of the things that we would say about that, I guess, is that that, is, that was groundbreaking for its day. The idea of a woman being significant in the life of a, a, a religious leader and shaper was massive. To make note of it, to make the women in the life of Jesus significant was a tremendous cultural statement. A shifting again of the honor and dignity that the Bible places on women in the, in the whole of the storyline of the Bible. Something which I think we tend to hear uh, a caricatured opposite of that. The Bible is against women, not at all. The Bible honors and dignifies women in a remarkable way. And here we see Mary's committed life. But the committed life is even more significant, I think, when we look at what they are remembering. Much earlier in the life of the Jewish people, the founding of the formation of this people of God, the saving of this people of God, and the forming of them as the people of God centers around Passover. We remember, you might not be aware of this, but the structure of the way that the Jewish nation was formed was from a man called Abraham. And his family grew and grew and grew and they eventually, they found refuge in Egypt as, as there was famine in their land and they continued to grow until they were a, a, a significant number of people. They were, became enslaved by the Egyptians. But they weren't until that point 
a recognized, identifiable people of God. How did they end up becoming that? By Passover. It was Passover that identified them as what? As the saved people of God. How did it work? By one night, God freeing them when he brought the angel of death on all of the firstborn and the Egyptian family and those who had, who had marked the doorposts with blood from the lamb that they ate together, those who had been marked as those who considered themselves to be God's people, they were saved and they left and they were protected as they left. And at that point, they became what? They became the saved people of God. Up to that point, they'd been what? They'd been the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel. They'd been known as the Israelites. But now the storyline changes and it says, no, you are something more. You are the saved people of God. And here we have a little family that is traveling down to Jerusalem to remember that they are the saved people of God. We live in an age, I think, and to some extent I can understand precisely why this is the case. When we create events, when we create patterns of religious activity which become the priority, which become the focus of what we are, then we lose the sense of who we are. So, so we become what we are as opposed to who we are. The danger is that when we recognize that those structures of religious activity can become bigger than who we are, we then are in danger of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think one of the things that we are increasingly in danger of doing is throwing out the focus of devotion that the Christian life brings to us and losing a sense of who we are. Losing a sense, a reminder that part of our life as believers in Jesus is this, that we are the saved, devoted people of God. And one of the things that we enjoy doing together is remembering that together we are the saved people of God. Passover was a forerunner of what Jesus was going to instigate and open the door for all who believe in Jesus to be saved. Not only those who are of the Jewish community, but all who believe in Jesus by the ultimate sacrifice can be saved. And I think there is a danger that we can lose sight of being the gathered, joyful, celebrating, devoted people of God. We're heading into an interesting 12 months. I don't know what the next 12 months are going to bring. I know what the back end of last year brought, a fascinating little email that said, by the way, just wanted to let you know that at some point we're going to serve you notice on these premises. Uh, and you're not going to be able to meet here anymore because somebody's 
offered a substantial sum of money more. What does that mean? It means for us, I think, that we must never lose lose sight of the fact that it is not about building, but it is about the gathering together of the people of God who believe themselves to be joyfully saved and knit together. That's what it's about. That's why we get together. This is, there is a tendency that we can fall one way or the other. We can fall into religious practice and lose sight of the fact that we are the, the, the devoted, joyful, saved people of God. Or we can fall the other way where it's all about who we are as getting together and community and all of that kind of thing. And we lose the, lose the fact that we are the devoted, joyful, celebrating people of God. Whatever this next year brings, whatever the challenges of any transition brings, may that be the very focus, the core of what we remember as we gather together. It's not about a building, it's not about where, it's not about who, it's about who we are together. And that doesn't mean that we are the only community of the joyful, celebrating people of God. Not at all. But we are at least a reflection of that. We are at least a part of that. And let us keep our minds focused with a mindset of Mary and Joseph, which is we are committed to getting together and to remembering that we are joyfully saved by Jesus by the God of the Bible, who has saved us through His Son. A pattern of devotion. At the second, so that's, I guess, a little view of this little family traveling, but there's something else going on, isn't there? Because we, we see that they travel every year. Every year the parents went, but now we see that this particular year that Luke focuses in on is a significant year. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. It was Jesus' bar mitzvah. That's what it was. It was him being gathered and coming of age in religious, legal terms, religious law, recognized Jesus now as being prepared and ready to come before the scrolls and to meet with the men and to gather and to talk about the law of God and to start to begin to play his part in the religious community of God's people. That's what this was all about. And so Luke recognizes that they gathered every year, and they went down to Jerusalem, but he picks up on this particular one, and he says, I want you to look at what happened on this occasion. This great celebration, they went according to the custom. That's amazing. What would happen is that Jesus would have been uh, presented, and he would have, for the first time, been welcomed in to sit before the teachers of the law, to engage in discussion, to engage in uh, conversation around 
the, the message of God, just pause for a minute and think about what is going on. Jesus, the Son of God, is being brought before the teachers of the law to begin that process of being part of the community of the religious gathering. That is incredible. The same Jesus who was part of the creation of this world. The same Jesus who left the glory of heaven and came into this world. Who let go of all that he could have rightfully claimed as his and was obedient to his Father and came into this world. You know, we we are reminded in other parts of the Bible, Philippines talks about it, about the humility of Jesus. This is astounding humility that Jesus would make himself a 12-year-old boy coming before the teachers of the law, submitting to the customs, observing all of those things that had become part of Jewish life, those things that had been established. Jesus observed. He was part of that process. It was a key moment in life, and yet at the same time, it was a moment of astounding divine condescension. A willingness for the God of heaven in human form to be taken down to Jerusalem to sit before the teachers of the law. What an amazing moment. And so they arrived in Jerusalem. They celebrated the festival. And then this little family started to travel back. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. They were unaware of it. I guess for us, that might sound, that might sound just... Have you ever... Those of you who are parents, have you ever done this? I know, I think I'm pretty sure at some point I was on the receiving end of this. I think I might have been. I'm not daring looking over in that direction, but I think I probably was. Uh, And I know that we've been guilty of it on at least one occasion, assuming that our kids are with somebody else and actually leaving them at church. Uh, So we've done that. But, But this is another little indication of how life worked, how community worked. The whole entourage, the whole group, all traveling together, probably a significant number traveling back up to Nazareth from Jerusalem, gathered together, traveling with the wider family, with cousins, with uh, wider relations, with people that had also traveled down from their neighborhood. Uh, And here we have this group traveling back. They travel for a day. And then at the end of it, Mary and Joseph say, have you seen? you seen Jesus? Yeah, I thought he was with you. Didn't, Didn't, wasn't he... I'm sure I saw him. He was running uh, with little Joel over the far. No, he wasn't. So you wander around the whole group, and Jesus is not there. He's not there. Part of the reason why they traveled in groups like that was for safety. So what we find is, and we don't know from the Bible how many traveled back to Jerusalem, but after a day's travel, they realize that Jesus is not there. And, 
at least Mary and Joseph, and I would suspect that probably others as well, went back with them, back to the city to find. So another day's traveling back, and then they arrive and they find Jesus. The next day, so three days, and they find Jesus. They began to looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him where? They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Luke is a Luke's a doctor, he's, he's forensic in the way that he approaches the life of Jesus. He wants to give a very clear account of why Jesus is the significant person who he claimed to be, and therefore why we should trust him. And part of his evidence is this moment. From this moment on, he is basically saying to us, there was a uniqueness to Jesus. When he was engaging with those uh, religious leaders, when he was engaging with those teachers, there was an amazement, not in Jesus, but in everybody else who was listening to this 12-year-old Engage in discussion, engage in conversation. Even from this moment in time, Jesus was significant. It's a key moment. But I think it's a key moment in another way. What, remembering what this was, it was Jesus' bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah is a, still a big thing in Jewish families. Uh, we were in Jerusalem and we saw um, boys being taken to the Wailing Wall celebrating their bar mitzvah. This is a massive event. It's a massive moment where there is that transition of growing up into religious spiritual manhood. It's a moment of cultural celebration. There was all sorts of celebration going on. They probably had a special meal because of it. And yet what Jesus is about is, is making a twist and making a transition. You see, this is not for Jesus about a cultural celebration. This is not about Jesus getting to that age where he now becomes accepted. What Jesus does is he embodies the tradition of what was intended. Jesus becomes the one who actually engages in the law of God in a way that all of the other 12-year-old boys who are simply part of that cultural celebration were not reflecting. He becomes the one who engages in the word of his father in a way that other 12-year-olds didn't. He does what bar mitzvah truly is. 
He becomes the one who from that moment is committed to the word of his Father. He becomes the one who is revealing an understanding of his Father in a way which is breathtaking. That's what we see in this moment in the life of Jesus. He turns a cultural celebration on its head and he says, this is what it's really about. It's really about truly coming to know the Word of God, my Father. So much so that when his parents turn to him and say, what are you doing? Don't you know that we are worried? Don't you know that we were fearful? Son, why have you treated us like this? We've been searching anxiously for you. Why were you searching for me? Why why would Jesus say that? Why were you searching for me? Why? why? The, The answer's obvious, isn't it? The answer is obvious because... We're traveling back and you weren't with us. Surely that's why you were, we would be searching for you. Why would Jesus ask that? I wonder whether it's this. It's because he's saying to them, you should have known where I would be. You should have known that I would truly be entering into what this is really all about. Do you think a quick celebration... A quick bar mitzvah in Jerusalem is good enough for this moment of truly entering into the living word of my Father in this world. Do you think that's good enough for me? You should have known where I would be. I would truly be entering into this. Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? Where's home? Where's home? I guess what Jesus was saying is what becomes increasingly as we recognize our faith and dependence in the God who saves us, that home is truly where He is. Where is home for us? One of the repeated ideas through the Bible is that we live recognizing that here is not home. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. We can lose Jesus today by creating an idea of how we control Jesus, of how Jesus should be. So we enter into the celebrations, we enter into the festivals, we enter into all of the things, but Jesus never really becomes who He truly is. We can lose Jesus today in the same way as Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Jesus, you should have been just about that celebration. We spend the eight days and then we go back and Jesus says, no, that's not enough. We live with a constant view of how things should be. And one of the things that Jesus does to Mary and Joseph at this moment in time is He rocks the way they see things. He shakes up the way they perceive things to be. He changes their outlook. 
They don't understand it yet, but it's part of the process. Mary treasures this in her heart. There was a fantastic little um, cartoon that was doing the rounds uh, over the Christmas period. And uh, I think we've got, yeah, we've got a picture of it. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Some of you might have seen it. People are just kind of, how long is it going to take to settle in? It's great. It takes a while. Yeah, somebody's got it. Yeah, one or two are beginning to see what's happening here. Here we've got a rhino artist. And the rhino artist paints all sorts of different pictures. Beautiful sunsets. The kind of sun setting over the Serengeti. A bowl of fruit. A life model. All of those different things. And yet every single picture features a rhino horn right in the middle. Because that's the way he sees things. What a brilliant little picture that is. Do you know what? I think it is so powerful because Jesus breaks into our life and he demands that we start to see things differently. That's what he does to Mary and Joseph. From this moment on, they are rocked in the way that they see things. They begin to see that this son is forcing us to see things in different ways. He's challenging our perception. We thought we were just going to celebrate his bar mitzvah. And yet what he's done, he's brought a true meaning of what it really is into our understanding. My prayer for all of us over this next year, no matter where we are in our Christian journey, is that Jesus would do that for us. Change the way we see things. We all have a rhinoceros horn in our view. We all have ways that have been shaped, maybe culturally, maybe by experience, maybe by the things that have gone on in our lives, maybe by the wider cultural pressures. There are all sorts of things that are fair and square in our view that are constantly going to shape the way we see everything else. My prayer would be this. Just like Mary and Joseph, where they find Jesus, and the answer is not a tearful 12-year-old boy who's relieved that his fair parents have finally arrived because he's been terrified without them. It's him who rocks their view. And he says, it is all about my Father's Word. I guess those things that get in the way of our view are more than we could count. And each one of us will have our own challenge. What do we replace it with? Devotion to Jesus is about that constant day-to-day desire to see things as he would see them. So that I would walk in a pathway which is not shaped by that which I've created in front of me, but by him. May that be our experience in 2016.